It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Let's go, back to your huddle. On Giants.com. Tempo, tempo, tempo. And the Giants mobile app. Go, 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 go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. John Schmilk with you. Today's guest, former NFL executive and current analyst for NFL Network, Scott Pioli. Scott, welcome to the show. It's good to see you. I hope you and your family are well. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And uh, yeah, the family's doing very, very well. Once we all get situated here in our new home, everything will be perfect. Thank you. And of course, Scott, former executive for the Patriots, Chiefs, the Falcons. There's a longer list that I could go through, but I don't, I'll be here for the first 10 minutes of the interview. Scott's done a lot in his time in the National Football League. You just so, can't mention that other team in the area that you work and live in. Yeah, well, 97 to 2000 with the Jets. Is that right? Uh, 97 through 99, three seasons. Yeah. Very good. We, we share a stadium. We're on good terms. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott, it, it's your job. In, in your profession and what you do to kind of be able to take that 20,000 foot view of a franchise and where they are and where they're headed. So I'll leave this as an open-ended question. You could take it any way you want. When you look at the giants through that lens, what do you see? I see a team trending in the right direction, quite honestly, because they have a lot of things in place that are really positive. And I think they've done a good job this year. Actually, I, I love their draft in terms of what they got in terms of players, but also in terms of future currency, I like what they've done to improve their football team from a personnel standpoint. And I just really like the leadership group in charge, you know, both in on the coaching side of the ball and front office and, of course, ownership. So I see a team that is starting to, you know, bring back um, the, the what, they, what they've been looking for the last several years. So I, I see it trending in a really, really positive direction. I know you did not overlap with Joe Judge when he was with the Patriots. You know Dave Gettleman a long time through yeah. your contacts in the league. The sense that I get, and, and this is not to, you know, be negative about, you know, Pat Shermer, who is a, a great guy, good coach. I feel like there is a real symmetry between Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman and how they want to play football and build a roster. And do you, A, do you agree with that? And B, how important is to have that symmetry between head coach and general manager yeah. to get where you want to go? Well, a, a couple things there, John. You know, first of all, yeah, I've known Dave since, since Dave was the head coach at Saugerties High School. Uh, and I'm from Washingtonville, New York. Um, so uh, we're both in Section Nine. But uh, and I and I do know Joe fairly fairly well from. You probably know Charles you know, Davis from those days too, right? You know Charles. Charles Davis heck yeah. Days, yeah, Charles is a year older than me. Charles was the. I'm telling you this. Charles, I think, was the greatest high school athlete, um, quite possibly come out definitely out of Section Nine, but one of the greatest in the state of New York. He was all state in football, basketball, baseball at New Paltz High School. And again, he was a year older than me. So we always have this ongoing. We were, we were undefeated one year and they were, I think, eight and two in a different league than us. And he likes to tell us that, you know, tell me that he they would have beat us, beat Washington High School. We would have beat him like a drum, though. So that's an ongoing. Yeah, Charles is a, but Charles was an amazing athlete, a guy, for, again, from Section 9 who went to play on, uh, play football at an SEC school at the University of Tennessee. It was rare. Really weird. Anyway, I digress. But to get back to your question, um, there, there is symmetry there. It sure looks like they have a lot of things um, that are aligned in terms of the partnership. Because, you know, regardless of what the hierarchy is within an organization, whether the general manager is here, the head coach is here, or it's flipped, whatever it is, it should be even. 
And whenever that time comes, and even if, again, if the general manager hires the head coach, I'm a firm believer that once the head coaches are hired, the general manager becomes a servant leader to the head coach. Because at the end of the day, the players are going to respond to the head coach and what they're doing. So the general manager's job is to oversee all the things to make the head coach's job easier, to have less noise for the head coach, and to bring the head coach players. And it looks like that they're doing a pretty good job there. You know, and, and I look at, you mentioned Pat Shermer, and I will say this, I know Pat, I've known him for a long time. You know, sometimes people don't succeed in certain situations because the timing isn't just right. Pat Shermer is a heck of a football coach. The Giants have had a number of good coaches, a number of good general managers for whatever reason. If there's not that symmetry that you're talking about, if that's not happening at the right time, and or if there's other issues, good coaches could not work, cannot work sometimes good general managers may not be able to work out sometimes so sometimes it takes this confluence john of multiple things for good leaders to to you know to manifest themselves into having success yeah and i think let's start stick with the leadership then you know joe judge he's brought i think what a lot of people consider to be the the quote-unquote patriot way down to to metlife stadium patrick graham's from that tree as well how would you describe that what does that mean to you the, the Patriot way, or I, I think the Patriot ways, he, here's the thing. Again, I, Bill and I worked together for 17 years. We were at the Patriots beginning together um, in, in 2000 for the first nine years. And it's, I don't, I'm, I'm not big on catchphrases because there's so many things. There was a culture that was instilled and installed <laughs> At, in New England that wasn't just about the leadership or the leader of um, Bill individually or Bill and myself or Bill, Ernie Adams and myself and the, you know, and, and Charlie, there was a, there was also a buy-in from our locker room that was a part of the Patriots culture. And again, I know the phrase culture is overused, but so is the, 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 the phrase Patriot way. And again, all that really was um, is, it wasn't that different from John from some other things. The Giants have seen this. The, the, what, the way things were at the Patriots um, and probably still are was an extremely intense, heightened sense of accountability. And that accountability led to trust between players and coaches and everyone. So if you go back to the Giants history, when it was under Bill Parcells, there was a hyper, a hyper accountability. Under Tom Coughlin, there was that same thing. At the Patriots, that's what we had. Joe Judge, and, and hey, you know, Nick Saban wasn't a part of the New England Patriots, but he has that where he where he is. You know, you look around the NFL, there's people that were never a part of, of the Patriots, you know, uh, of that Patriots situation who have, Kyle Shanahan was not a part of, quote unquote, the Patriot way. But Kyle, I worked with Kyle and I know Kyle and I know his dad and I know how his dad's setup was at the Broncos. Kyle has a very intense level of accountability, not only from players to coaches, players to players, but coaches to players as well. Everyone in those organizations. So to me, I, I, I don't know about the whole the, the, the Patriot way thing. Um, and that's coming from someone who, who was, again, a part of it and part of building it. It was just... To me, the way that things should be, which is, this is a game of accountability and inter, you know, it, it, it's 
interdependent relationships and one can't work without the other and people can't succeed without the help of others. And that's more of what it's about, John. I, I, I hope that's not, I hope that answers the questions of what it is. And, and I know that Joe Judge believes in those things. I know that the, I, sh, I believe, uh, from, I don't like to say that I know because I've never worked with the Giants organization or the, the Maras and the Tishes, but I believe that's what they're all about. And I know that's what Dave is all about. No, Scott, you answered it perfectly. And I think you took the cliche and you defined it a little bit, which was exactly what I was looking for. And, you know, it does remind me of a lot. I've been in the Giants building since 2007. So I know what it was like under Tom Coughlin. And uh, even someone 2007. like 2007, you're going to go there right out of the gate, aren't you? <laughs> you know what? I didn't even beat there. <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess I did. Um, and, you know, you have, even for someone that, you know, it's not in football operations, there is that extra sense of, intensity and you want to do everything the right way because you feel like Tom is judging you every, every step that you take. And the guy saw every, I never seen anything like that. Tom Coughlin has six sets of eyes that are arranged on all parts. He sees everything, but that's part of it. And the accountability. Yes. The other part I want to get to you with is the teaching aspect. John, can I interrupt real quick? Yeah, oh, ahead, sorry, because I know you say, you want to but it's, um, you know, when you talk about Tom judging you or judging people, it's not really judging. And I think that's what happens is there's a sense of a standard that is required to work in those organizations. And everyone knows what the standard is. Yeah, And people start to, to let that standard and that expectation of what is acceptable and what, is, what isn't acceptable. And again, the accountability. And, and some people start to take that the wrong way and they feel like they're being judged. They feel like they're being, and really it's not a matter of being judged. That's just the way it is. And if we're gonna succeed, that's how it's gonna be. This isn't about anyone being mean. This isn't about anyone being, right? It, it's, it's, this is what the standard is. If you can reach a standard, gosh, go, jump in, let's go. If you can't, I'm not judging you as a human being or saying that you're less than. All we're saying or all he's saying is this gig probably isn't for you. So it's, it's but again, I think people start to take it personally when it's not really a personal thing. No, it absolutely isn't personal. It's a high standard of personal accountability. I guess would yes. be the best way to put it, right? Personal and professional. Correct. Correct. And 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 that and that and that's what you're trying to reach, 100%. The other part of it too, I think Scott is something that Joe Judge has stressed a lot, and this goes to coaching more than I guess the front office part of it, but you can speak to it is the teaching aspect. And hmm. we had Justin Tuck on a show last week and he talked about how look, the best coach teams are the teams that are good year in year out. And I think when they talk about the type of players they're trying to bring in, they say, we hold our players to a higher standard. We expect them to do extra film work. We expect them to do a little bit more. And we're not going to bring guys into the organization that aren't able to meet that standard that we demand from ourselves and we demand from our players. So as someone that works with a coach like that and is the front office, how do you go about trying to find the right players mm -hmm. that can succeed in that environment? Because you can be super talented, but still not be built to succeed in that type of environment. John, that is an awesome question. And again, I go back to the original statement that whoever's in charge of the player personnel acquisition needs to find players that are you need to serve the head coach and the coaching staff to bring them the players that they can best work with. Because there are players that are good players, but they just don't fit into certain circumstances or situations or cultures. And the, the, the culture of what Joe, Joe Judge comes from a background where he knows and believes in player development. And players who are not playing now at some point in time are going to be playing, whether, whether that attrition happens through injuries, whether it happens through them graduating to another team through free agency or trade, 
So, so what you need to do is know and understand your head coach and understand their strengths, their limitations, their idiosyncrasies, what they believe in and, and how that they, what are the personality types and players, not just their physical abilities and skills. You have to understand the emotional, mental makeup of the players that you're bringing in and whether those players are the type of player that will be a part of how things are being taught, right? So not every player can come into Joe's system and they have to have a certain degree and type of intelligence in order for them to develop. They need to be have a certain amount of selflessness. They have to have, there's this thing that they, there's a, a mental makeup and an emotional makeup and a makeup of the human being that has to match. So part of that is not, we can all figure out who the biggest, fastest, strongest people are. That stuff's easy. We can also watch tape and figure out who the best football players are. But part of what you're doing here is a chemistry experiment in terms of bringing together the right type of players for the head coach, which was a big part of player acquisition. I know in working with Bill for all those years, there were certain players. Bill had was very simple about his rules. Be on time, pay attention, work hard. Joe believes in those things too. So what do you have to do? You have to go out and get good football players that are big football players, that are fast football players, that can be on time, pay attention, work hard. If they can't do that, it's probably not going to work. And to me, that's what they, they need to do is understand Joe. And, and Joe is, and, and I mean this in the, in the best sense uh, possible, is Joe is, is not a complicated guy. He's a simple guy. He loves football. He wants football players to care about football and the team and, and the greater good. And, you know, that's for the personnel department to figure that out and find those guys. All right, let's talk about the personnel acquisition of it, because obviously, to your point, you have to have the leadership and the quote unquote culture, uh, the way of going about things. But without the, the players that can play the game, it, it doesn't really matter, Scott. So how do you feel about where the Giants roster is in terms of where they've improved, where they're ready to go? And just how Dave Gettleman has gone about building this roster to where they are now during his time here when he took over for Jerry Reese? Well, I think they're doing a really good job. And, and here's part of it is. Not every coach is the same. So again, as we were just talking about, you, you bring in players that have certain skill sets to match the philosophy on offense and defense, the amount of flexibility that they want to have with those things, but also to match the makeup. So now Dave has adjusted the players and Dave and his staff are adjusting the players that they want to bring to what fits Joe. And I like where it's at. Here's the other thing. And I, I can't say this enough. I love what Dave did this year where he got a good player this year, he moved back and he collected currency because the reality is this, I, Dave's been in the league long enough to know and understand, uh, you know, a lot of general managers, we don't like to talk about this, but the reality is a lot of our picks don't work out, right? So the more picks you have, the more opportunity you have to be right. You put your ego aside and you say, okay, let's collect picks and, and, and pick a bunch of good players. And some of them are going to work out, some aren't. So the fact that they traded back this year and still got Kadarius Tony, who's a tremendous talent and can help their speed, quickness, and everything that they're going to be trying to do on offense, going to help you know their quarterback who needed some more players with dynamic skills, but then also picked up another first where they pick up a first rounder next year and a fourth rounder in that deal, and they put you know brought in some good players. I love their second round pick, pass rusher from Georgia. From Georgia. 
So I like the players. What I see that they did this year, they certainly improved their team speed. And that was clearly going to be, again, I don't know this, but looking at it based on the players that they brought in, to me, someone in there was saying, listen, we need to improve our team speed and our overall team athleticism and get good, you know, get fast, quick players in here. And they did that. But they also, again, I can't mention say this enough. I love what Dave did in terms of getting currency for the future. All right. I, I agree. I think you can't argue with the value. I think they maximized the value of all their picks in the draft. They even moved back when they selected Aziz Ojolari. They picked up an extra third round pick next yeah. year. So 100%, Scott, I agree with you. And that built off what they did in free agency. And I think all of us were a little taken aback by how aggressive they actually were because we knew the cap was falling. Uh, the Giants are generally not a franchise, as you know, that likes to move money back in contracts. They like to kind of keep those contracts flat. They don't like to move the money back, but they did what they had to do. They go out there, they get Galladay, they get a Dory Jackson, they bring in Kyle Rudolph, Shelton, a bunch of other guys. What did you think about their aggressive posture in free agency, which a lot of times isn't that common for a team that is, you know, coming off a six and 10 season, but it seemed like they really thought they saw an opportunity in what was a depressed market due to the cap. And they tried to take advantage of it. Yeah. Because I, I think it was similar to the strategy that the Patriots had. Again, this was an interesting buyer's market this year where because it was uh, because the cap space, there wasn't that much league wide. So the teams that were the players and created cap space and or had cap space to be in, yes, they had to spend cash, but they were able to do more for less in a year like this. Now, how they didn't free agency, what, you know, what, here's what I do like. They didn't go after a lot of big name marquee free agents. They went after guys with solid, strong reputations. Now, I say that we have to wait and see how this is going to work out because how all those pieces fit into the philosophy of what they're doing defensively and what Jason Garrett is doing offensively. It'll be very interesting to see how that, how that fits. But what, what the other thing I love about the Giants setup is they have, you know, a head coach and Jason Garrett, who's a longtime former head coach that's running the offense and they know what they're looking for on both sides of the ball and they know what they're trying to do. So, my, my, my guess and belief is that they filled in those spots with the type of players that they wanted. Again, it was a unique year for the salary cap, but I'll, I'll say this. Whatever they paid this year, even though that they had to do things from a cap standpoint to create cap room, it's still going to be cheaper than what it's going to be in 22 and 23. So hopefully they, you know, I think part of the philosophy might have been let's lock players in at this, you know, this lower fixed rate now and it's still going to be cheaper in the future. We don't like to do this normally, but let's get into this market. And I'm a person that believes, you know, because of some of the success we had the Patriots, you know, people don't realize this, but we built those initial teams success through free agency. That first Super, Super Bowl season in 2001, we signed 23 free agents that year. And people don't remember that because we had some good players on the roster. We'd started the draft fairly well. And then, you know, even in that 2001 season where we drafted Richard Seymour in the first round, Matt Light in the second round, we had added Brady the year before in 2000. And, but then we built through free agency and we filled that team very quickly, but we did it at very, very reasonable prices. Those 23 players, John, cost us a total signing bonuses of the 23 guys, only $2.5 million. Wow. Now the cap was still, it's not what it is now, but it wasn't that low then 
So we went after good, good football players that were cultural fits of the right guys makeup wise. And again, we're good enough starters in the National Football League, which looks somewhat similar to what the New York Giants may have done this year. And I think one thing, and I'd like to talk to you about this philosophically with the way the league is going, Scott, it seemed like the Giants put a premium on trying to acquire guys that can make big plays because now in the NFL, without chunk plays, it's hard to kind of go station to station and score consistently in the league. And now the Giants have Saquon Barkley coming back, coming back off injury mm-hmm. this year. They signed Kenny Galladay. They get Kadarius Tony in the draft. How essential do you think it is in this modern NFL to have an offense that can get those big chunk plays to be a top 12, 15, 10 scoring offense in the league, which really now is essential if you do want to challenge for a Super Bowl. Yeah, John, I always, I believe that you always have to have a good defense. And I still do believe that, that defenses can and will win championships. That being said, I'm going to talk out of the other side of my mouth in saying that you now – Offense is even more important because the way that the league has changed rules and we consistently are changing rules every single year to make things easier for the offense and to make things for teams to score more points. That's the decision that the league has made, that the owners have made, that that's what we're going to do. We're going to allow more, you know, uh, holding is going to have a a higher threshold of, of tolerance, you know, um, the hits on the quarterbacks, the, the pass interference. There's a lot of things that we've done as a league to really change and shift um, the game. So I think the, the, the smart teams are understanding, okay, we need to have a dynamic offense, which you always need that. It, it, it's just, they, they, you know, they believe they have the quarterback. And now what we need to do is make sure that the quarterback has some players to, you know, some skilled players, uh, I'm not a big fan of the word weapons. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not big on using war phrases, you know, and, and you know, when I speak about football. Um, so to me, having more players with more skill and speed and quickness and talent um, to help Daniel Jones, I, I mean, it, it was important, was clearly an important thing. But that's smart because they're paying attention to the trends in the league and the types of players that can be successful. Yeah, playmakers are, are essential. And the other thing that's essential for a young quarterback, and this is a good way to transition to Daniel, I think, Scott, is to protect him up front. And right now the Giants have a very young group of offensive linemen that Dave Gettleman has put together. Uh, Will Hernandez, second-round pick in 2018. Nick Gates, first-year starting. He was an undrafted free agent. Shane Lemieux, Andrew Thomas, Matt Parrott, all draft picks in the 2020 draft. Then you have Nate Solder, Zach Fulton, a couple of veterans, some other guys that provide some depth there. When you have a young offensive line, Dave has made the point that you got to get these guys out there and let them play to find out what you have. What's the key to trying to develop a young group together at a position where chemistry is so important and it's just being strong up front is so important to just allowing every part of your offense to work? John, my, my belief is the most important person is the offensive line coach. You need to have talent. You need to have a strong, smart offensive line coach that can not only develop players, but can coordinate with the offensive coordinator what we need to do or what they need to do from a protection standpoint. And I'll tell you, John, I I was very fortunate, very blessed in all of my NFL years to be around some terrific offensive line coaches that were able to take the talent that was given. If you brought them good enough players, players that were good enough in the National Football League to play, but were strong, smart, and tough, 
a good offensive line coach will make that happen. And he will also coordinate with the coordinator what needs to be helped in terms of protection. Where do we have in certain situations, in certain games, in certain matchups, what do we need to do? Where do we need to chip? When do we need to motion? Where do we, you know, what can we do? I look, you know, and again, been very fortunate to be around, you know, Dante Scarnecchia all those years at the Patriots. But prior to that, Bill Muir at the New York Jets. Prior to that, it was Kirk Ferentz and Pat Hill, you know, two tremendous NFL offensive line coaches that became very good uh, college head coaches. And, you know, in, and being with Bill Muir in Kansas City also. And then in, in my time in, in Atlanta, you know, watching Chris Morgan, who's now the offensive line coach with the Pittsburgh Steelers, but also how he worked with Kyle Shanahan, who was the master at, at let me back up here you need an incredible offensive line coach and then your coordinator has to be a really, really good coordinator to know where the limitations are and to help get, you know, help the edges, help the inside when you need them. And what you can do is when you have a back like Saquon, Saquon Barkley, who's one of the best in the National Football League, you can establish a running game and then you work play action because play action pass. And I learned watching Mike Shanahan years ago as, you know, competing against him, the job that he did and the job that Kyle does, he takes good offensive line units where the sum is always better than the parts. And a big part of that also become what you're do, becomes what you're doing with the running game and then off of play action. Kyle Shanahan's ability, and every offensive line coach that has worked with him, his ability and attention to detail in the passing game, in terms of the play action passing game off of the running game, helps his offensive linemen be better football players as long as they're smart and do what they're supposed to do. That's the coaching part of it. From a player perspective, the Giants have invested a lot of draft picks and offensive linemen over the last decade. Some have not worked out. They have not developed the way they want. Others have. When you look at player Scott, what makes you have an inkling as to whether or not a player is going to be able to really develop and take big jumps between their first and second year, second and third year, whatever it is, versus players where, you know what? Maybe we don't feel so great about this guy improving and developing. As an evaluator and somebody that puts a roster together, how do you figure that out? What traits do players have that allow you to figure out what guys you can trust to actually get better when they show up the following year? Mostly it's the guys that know what they don't know and have a degree of confidence and humility. And I know those things sound, it sounds like a contradiction, but they need to have confidence in themselves, but they also need to have the humility to know what they don't know and know what they need to work on, to know that they have limitations and to know that they've got to improve certain areas. Combine that with really strong work ethic, because you can teach them the right work habits, but if they have the right work ethic, they will improve. So part of it, again, goes back to the psychological makeup. You know, there's some players who maybe don't have the right makeup, but their skills are so insane that they develop and become better players just because, you know, they, they've been blessed with rare talent. But mostly the best developmental players that I've seen, again, have that combination of confidence and humility and are the guys who sit there and listen to the teaching that they're getting. And they're not the guys that, that are, you know, when they're being talked to by a coach, they're going, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and they're not hearing, they're talking instead of listening. And, and it, it shows, it's something you can observe when they're being coached 
whether or not they have a chance. And I, I don't know if I'm articulating that well enough, but it's certainly something you can see and hear, which is why I think live scouting is so important in being on college campuses to see how players receive the teaching that they're getting. Hey, Giant fans, limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Let's get vaccinated. Go to COVID19.nj.gov slash vaccine to register. Hey, Giant fans, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games or world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. All right, now let's get to Daniel Jones himself. We talked about everything going on around him. Let's talk about the player. Heading into year three, Scott, second straight year in the same offensive system. How important is that for Daniel in terms of being able to make that jump in his third year? It's critical. I mean, it's huge. It's the second year in the same system. It's a second year in one of a, a coach in Jason and a position coach coordinator um, that I think Jason is one of the best developmental coaches at that position, particularly in the NFL for so many reasons. So I think, Again, having Jason for a second year, being with the same offense in the same offense for a second year is important. But here's the other thing. This is and and this is not making excuses for any players that were rookies last year or second year players. The reality is last year was a really tough year to be a rookie or a second year player because that year in the second year where players are supposed to make such a significant jump. Daniel didn't have an offseason with his teammates. He didn't have it with his coaches. And again, and we can sit here, a lot of players didn't. And that's true. And that's exactly what I'm saying. At that position, it's really difficult. So him, this is going to be a critical year for him because he's having more offseason time with his coaches. He's having more offseason time with his teammates if he wants. And he has the ability to bond, grow, get to know guys, simple things that, that they didn't get to spend time on, which is like checks at the line of scrimmage. I mean, the amount of work that goes on between quarterbacks and receivers and other players when they just make glances and they do little hand movements or little nods or, you know, wink, wink, that are signals and are part of the communication, he's going to have a chance to do that this year. And what we do know about Daniels is he's a really, really smart football player. And not just because of what he, where he went to college, he's a smart football player. So, him having that ability to communicate thoughtfully with his teammates and the new players that he's brought in, I think is going to make a big difference. The other thing that's going to help in his development is having Saquon Bar uh, Barkley. That is going to help him. Uh, it, it's going to help him. So um, he's, he's a young talent. And again, I will say this, the one, it's not even a criticism, but the one thing that he still has to do to to for me to feel better about I think he's got all the tools he's got all of it and to be a good quarterback is ball security once he gets that figured out and and finalized which he will um I think he's going to be a good, a good player I, I just trust the people around him and the, the coaching around him the organization around him and the teammates around him that I think he'll continue to trend in a good good direction 
What are some of the other subtle things, Scott, to look for? Th- putting the, obviously, ball projection, you already covered that aside. We know how important that's going to be for any head coach to not turn it over. Um, the overall production, you know, the checklist, touchdowns, all that stuff. Is it, when you get into an offense for a second year, is it making quicker decisions? Is it getting rid of the ball quicker? What are some of the things that fans can kind of keep an eye on as they watch Daniel entering year three, second year, Jason Garrett, that might give them clues that, yes, this is something different. We're seeing progress here. I think it'll just be his physical comfort and how you see his body language. And and, and important thing with that is, again, you talk about what are some of the subtle things that, so this is this, again, talking about the second year that he and Jason are together. It's not just on Daniel, but Jason now knows. Again, Jason, here's what I love about Jason as a football coach, and I've known him for a long time, is he knows, and the best coaches in the league know what players can do and what they can't do. And you need a system to have a baseline and to have something to grow out of. But Jason is also going to know in year two what Daniel does well, and what he doesn't do well. He's gonna know what he's comfortable with and what he's not comfortable with. That is critical because he's gonna be put in a better position this year in terms of how to be successful because the coaching is just gonna be different. So to me, you know, I, I go back to some of the best football people that I learned from and, and, whether, whether, and listening to Parcells talking back in the day about Phil Sims and how they grew him and how they developed him and knowing what he could do and what he couldn't do and not making it easy for him. He still had to work on certain things, but you put players in a chance to succeed, not to fail. And again, it's part of this football family that I've been a part of that I, that I think Joe and Jason, again, Jason comes from a different place, but he comes to the same place, meaning, you know, accentuate the positive and limit the limitations. And I think if they do that with Daniel this year, you will see it in his body language. You will see it in his eyes and he'll become a more confident and better football player because of those things. And that doesn't necessarily mean airing it out to all these playmakers. It means a balanced attack. Use Saquon and and let him do what he does well. Right. And throw it to the guy that's open. I mean, it's that (laughs) simple. Again, I know what fans want to see for the excitement and stuff, but, you know, going back to some of the best quarterbacks to develop, Phil Sims, one of the things that they used to do for him you know, the, early in his career, he couldn't throw the long ball, right? Well, he wasn't being told to because what they wanted him to do was to complete high percentage plays, high percentage completions. That's exactly what we did with Tom Brady in New England. For years, people talk, yeah, but he can't throw the deep ball. Well, we weren't having him throw the deep ball. We were doing the extended running game and high percentage throws, which gave him confidence, which gave the team confidence in him. I mean, heck, we did it with Vinny Testaverde in in Cleveland, Baltimore, when he became a better player. And then with the Jets, it was all about the quarterback's confidence and what they were. Vinny was all these players I just mentioned. What we did was high percentage throws to make them confident, get them comfortable, and to make everybody comfortable. So, you know, maybe look for some of that. It doesn't have to be down the field all the time. All right, Scott, I want to get to the defense because I think it's also interesting. One thing Joe Judge stressed when he got here, I'm not going to pick a scheme and fit my players into it. That's silly. I'm going to look at my players and decide what they can do well. And I think it was reflected in the defense last year when Patrick Graham, you look from where he's come from in terms of the systems and where he's worked Miami back in, I guess that was the 2019 season. They played more man to man than anybody. That's where he was with uh, coach Flores. 
Then he comes to the Giants and he gets through camp. And you're like, oh boy, I don't really have a second cornerback here. And the Giants turn into one of the heaviest zone defense teams in the league. Now they go out, they get a Dory Jackson. I think it's really fascinating to watch here as the they acquire the personnel, to your point earlier, that the coaching staff wants. Are we going to see a bit of a shift here? Are the Giants going to change their defensive philosophy to that, you know, too deep zone, mix up your coverage, disguise stuff to more of a man-to-man, single high, blitz a little bit more. And I think that's a really fascinating thing to watch based on what we've seen from Patrick Graham before he got to the Giants. And you have to set out to acquire personnel for a certain system. But again, what you have to focus on more in terms of the system is intelligence and the player's ability to be flexible. Because then you can build the team the way that you want. And you look at where Joe comes from and his background, not only with Bill, but with Nick and you know, Patrick Graham's background and Brian Flores' background where, you know, it's, that's part of it. And, and that's part of, again, all those years working with Bill that I loved and was a beauty about Bill. It wasn't about Belichick, right? He didn't make it about himself. He wanted to be successful week to week. So if you had to make changes in order to beat, you know, the 49ers in, in the eighties were different than the way the Eagles played in the eighties and were different than what Washington was which was, you know, too tight end off. So you, you need it to be flexible. You have to have a core and a baseline. But what you're doing is you're teaching certain fundamentals that are carried over from scheme to scheme, from adjustment to adjustment. So you teach basic fundamental football skills that apply to the different things that you're going to change. Because the thing is, not all offenses that you play every week are going to be the same. So you will need to attack them differently and you'll need to adjust to them differently. So the flexibility part is, is really important. You know, the, the people that come from that, that, that coaching background, it was never about those individuals wanting to have an offense or a defense named after them, or, <laughs> you know, it was about winning football games that's all that mattered was winning football games. And you do what you need to do from a week to week basis to win the game that you're playing that week. And that's why the scheme can look different one week to the next based on your, yeah. absolutely. hundred percent. But you have to have some core fundamental foundational beliefs and teachings. Absolutely. Uh, two more on the defense, Scott, the giants have done this a little bit differently. Most people say you have to have that edge rusher. And that's kind of maybe not where it starts, but a huge key is to have that guy that can win off the edge. But the Giants have built inside out with Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. And then they've really focused a lot of the resources on the secondary with Bradbury, Adoree Jackson, Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, their draft picks, Xavier McKinney, Julian Love, go down the list. How do you feel about that way of approaching building a defense where maybe you don't have that, you know, 12 sack guy off the edge, but you're building those other areas instead? But if you don't... I'm fine with it because here's the truth. You can't force what isn't available, right? It's supply and demand. So if Leonard Williams is what is available and there's not an edge rusher, go get Leonard Williams, right? You can't can't just say, oh, we need an edge rusher, so I'm going to go out and make Joe Smith, who's a pedestrian edge rusher, and lie to myself and my team and say, oh, we've got our edge rusher because we talk them up. So what you have to do, again, this is a supply-demand business. And if you have the ability or the marketplace has the availability of a player that you, whether it's at your pick in the draft or in free agency, you know, there's competition for those guys. So 
they built things as they needed to build things and as a build availability. And it's, you know, this is a great question, John, because it's a bigger, it's a bigger um, foundational kind of question where sometimes people say, well, we need to do this. Well, the times I've made my biggest mistakes in terms of drafting and the times I've seen a lot of my friends make mistakes is when they drafted based on need rather than best player available. So what the Giants have done is they've gone out and gotten the, what they believe to be the best players available and not force something that wasn't viable or wasn't, you know, don't, don't kid yourself into thinking and using the currency of a high draft pick just to, to, to get a need because it ends up being a mistake, generally speaking. Scott, I love your answers because you're really echoing a lot what Dave has talked to me about when we've talked either publicly or privately. He talked about having, you know, strong, tough, and smart offensive linemen, you know, drafting for need. It's all out of the same philosophy. And this is another philosophical question on defense I'm curious of your take on. A lot of the quote-unquote analytics community is, is kind of starting to think that pass defense starts more now with the secondary because of the quick pass game and the quarterback getting out of his hands you know, a lot quicker. And that's more important to have coverage than pass rush at this point. How do you view that just simply from a philosophical standpoint? Do you think that has legs or do you still think in more of the traditional way, it's that pressure first and then you build the secondary off of that? I think it's a combination of things. Again, who are your, who are your teams? What are the teams in your division built like? You're going to play them twice. If they're, you're playing, you know, you're talking about six games right there. So six games, do you face, are those six games against those opponents, against teams that are about the quick passing game. Because not every game, not every team is like that, right? Some teams are different. I think that, and I love and believe in analytics, and because they force you to ask why. Every time you get an answer, okay, great, why? You know, you look at pass rushes, you know, you talk about sacks, you know, well, look at the sacks. What are the why? You know, how many times, how many of those 13 sacks was the player completely unblocked because, the, you know, the back forgot to chip the end or the tight end was supposed to stay in and didn't or the protection, you know, half the line got the protection long and slid one way or, or, or whatever. So I love the analytics, but then I think you need to keep asking, you know, yourself why and keep asking the analytics people why. Okay, that's awesome. Now look at those 13 sacks and then tell me the difference of what those 13 sacks were. Did they beat the protection? Did they beat the individual? But to your point, you know, I think that you have to, analytics are important, but when they look at things for the most part, they're looking at things at a 32, lead, a 32 team league. You have to somehow whittle that down. You're not, you know, not going to know your opponent every year and you can't build everything reactionarily, if that's a word. If it's not, I'm going to Google that later on. See We're making up words, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think it's important to to pay attention to those things and use it, but then use that as something to talk about in meetings. Hey, because the reality is you say, okay, this is how we're going to work our coverage. What if have you, you have a bunch of guys that can't play press man? Yeah. You know, if you don't have guys to play press man or play close and play tight coverage and they get beat on a double move, you know, that ain't, again, your what you want to do has to match your personnel and your personnel has to match what you do. And if your personnel doesn't match, then you as a leader need to, you know, need to change and adjust some of the things that you're doing 
to you know to mitigate what your issues might be. Yeah, one of Eli Manning's favorite things that he used to say to reporters when they asked him a general question after the game was, "Well, every play is its own individual organism, so I can't give you a general answer because every play is different." And when you talk about the details on those sacks, is it a cleanup sack? Did the quarterback roll out right into the player? You know, all these things right. it changes. No, I remember Eli was brilliant, and and it's true. People think that he was maybe avoid. He wasn't avoiding the question. He's a smart guy was answering things thoughtfully and he was speaking straight truth. Absolutely. Final question, Scott. And I'm not asking you to take out your crystal ball, but I, we both got our crystal balls. With you know, us though, here. Permanent, <laughs> permanent crystal balls. Absolutely. How do you view the NFC East just in terms of, I'm not asking you who's going to finish in first, just you can go team by team or take it as a unit. If you want, you know, what are the keys for the teams in this division for who's going to come out on top? We know last year didn't go well for anybody. No one's going to make what he did. Uh, so when you look at this year, I think all these teams are in different situations, veteran quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, whatever. Just how do you view this division and, and just what the Giants need to do to come out on top? Well, I think here's what I'll say. I see the Giants are trending in a very positive direction. Um, I also think that the Washington football team is trending in, in a positive direction. And a lot of that has to do with the leadership of Ron Rivera and the way that he's doing things and the people he's surrounding himself. And I think that they're doing a very good job of bringing the type of players that Ron can be successful, can be successful with. Um, I still think that they, you know, they, they've kind of got a plug in at the quarterback situation right now. Um, you know, I see the Dallas Cowboys as a team that they're going to be, you know, if Dak comes back healthy, look out. They'll be a player again. So I see this as, you know, with a, a – I think they're improving Daniel Jones and improving um, Washington football team, a Dallas football team that should be better than they were last year. And Philadelphia, to me, is the one I think is going to be going to be fighting a lot because it – it's a first year for so many things. There's so much change with Nick Sirianni being there. They've got it. You know, it's going to be a new young quarterback who's making a lot of big time decisions. But I think that the division, I know what the records were last year, but I expect the records of certainly three of those four teams to be better than what they were last year and to be more competitive. And again, the wild card is going to be Philadelphia and what they do it, just in terms of how quickly can they adapt and grow and improve, you know, in a place where there's been a ton of changes in the last 18 months. You know, help not playing the NFC West and the AFC North too. That yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Scott, this is why I open the floor to you. Anything you're up to um, charities, promotions, anything you want to put out there that oh, the fans wow. can know about, let us know. No, I, you know, I, I didn't even think about that. You're catching me off guard here. Um, you know, it's just, I, I, it's, I'm loving to see some of the changes that the league is making. And um, actually, you know, some of the work that my, my family and I do in, um, in the spaces of, of equity, um, in, in coaches and scouts of color, um, and supporting female coaches and scouts. As a matter of fact, um, a young lady that I mentored, um, Hannah Burnett, is now a scout for your New York Giants. Oh, I didn't know you mentored her. That's great. Yeah, well, it hired her at the at the uh, at the Atlanta Falcons, and, and she hired her. She came. She was working as an, an intern at the new at the at the league office, and had a long conversation with her. 
about what she wanted to do and hired her and we worked together um, for a while. And uh, she was also a bit of a mentor to my, my daughter or our daughter. Um, she's a former division one lacrosse player. And, and, and I think, you know, without being specific, I think that there's, you know, not just talking about the, the fund. We have a uh, women, female coaches and scouts fund at the women's sports foundation, Billie Jean King's organization, where we give grants to people like Hannah, who, you know, are trying to, to become something in their career. Um, and there's not this, you know, logical path, it seems, and they need help sometimes. And we provide grants for people. As a matter of fact, Hannah was a recipient of one of our grants back when she was working um, with the Falcons. After I had hired her, left the Falcons, and she was working with the Falcons, she uh, received a grant. And um, also at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Black, it's a combined um, Pro Football Hall of Fame and college uh, football, Black College Football Hall of Fame. Um, we have a grant there um, for coaches supporting HBCU coaches and former players. So um, I don't have that information to give you, but folks could find it and uh, feel free. It's about helping other people. It's not, um, it's helping football people. So have at it if you're, if you're interested. Yeah. And the senior bowl just came out. They're going to have the combine for the kids from the HBCU yeah. next year, which is great. Yeah, it's actually, so it's actually being, I'm, I'm part, uh, you know, I do some work with the league. It's actually being put on by the National Football League. It's an NFL project that partnered with Jim Nagy. Um, Jim, Jim and I worked together at the New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, Great guy. executive director, terrific guy. And he's, I'll tell you this, he's one of the best scouts that, that, that I worked with in terms of his attention to detail and how hard he worked in, in, in the job that he did. Um, but yeah, so it's actually the National Football League is, is really owning the HBCU Combine. Jim was kind enough to partner where it makes it easier by doing it down at that point in time where there'll be a bunch of college coaches, scouts, GMs, personnel directors to have those things linked up together. Um, there's a former giant um, who I'm going to give a shout out to here who's a part of that and really is m much of the of the brains and, and, and hardworking setting that up is Kevin Booth, um, a former offensive lineman who I do a lot of work with um, and some of the consulting work I do for the league office. But Kevin Booth has been, uh, I mean, amazing in terms of helping and, and building things out in the partnerships with the league. He does it very quietly behind the scenes. You know, there's a lot of people and uh, you know, they, they, they get credit for things um, but Kevin, the work that he has done to help make that happen, um, and again, former giant um, that, that I can't say enough about. He's he's a guy that I keep telling him, I'm, I'm not sure why you work at the league office, man, because you should be running a team somewhere someday. He's, he's an amazing talent. I mean, for a Cornell guy, he's pretty bright. So I always tease him. I say, well, you know, there's the Ivy League and then there's Cornell and Brown. So you didn't really go to Ivy League. <laughs> I'm sure he likes that. And, and, and he's one of those offensive linemen that don't look like offensive linemen anymore either. Oh, did you he's see him? He, he, that just he shrink, looks like right? he's a buck 80 now. He's looking, you know, <laughs> he's, uh, but he, again, he is a guy that um, he's, he is, I think, one of the rising superstars in the National Football League, whether that's with an individual club or for the league office. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about Kevin. And he's a guy that fits that profile, right? He won because of what's up here as much of what was going on down there. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, but he was also physically talented enough. Oh, of to, course, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, but you're right. He, he was a uh, smarter than the average bear. That's for sure. Scott, I took enough of your time, man. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I did. 
uh, just talking about football philosophy in the game. I had a lot of fun. Thanks so much. I appreciate you taking it. And we look forward to seeing on NFL Network again soon. All right. Thank you, John. Appreciate you. Take Scott care. Pioli, former NFL executive, joining us in the John Settle podcast. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. We'll see you next time.